Proverbs chapter 2. Starting in verse 1, verses 1 through 4. My son, if you receive my words and treasure my commands within you, so that you incline your ear to wisdom and imply your heart to understanding, yes, if you cry out for discernment and lift up your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver and search for her as hidden treasures. We'll stop right there. Actually, verse 5, let's look at the first word, then. And we'll stop right there. We'll read verse 5 in just a few minutes. What we want to look at tonight in this whole second chapter, what I've titled tonight is The Value of Wisdom. We looked at the foundations of wisdom in chapter 1, but wisdom has a tremendous amount of value. Um, You don't know how much wisdom you need until you get into a situation, and you don't know how valuable wisdom is until you actually need it. And experience in life, those of you that are older, you you look back and you realize, uh, hey, I could have saved myself a lot of pain had I known X or had I known Y. And God really wants to save all of us some pain by understanding now, with our ears tuned, with our hearts soft, what it is that he's saying to us. And it doesn't really matter how many times you've read the book of Proverbs, as I've mentioned I've read the book of Proverbs more than I've read any other book of the Bible. And that's probably true for a number of you. And no matter how many times we read it, we still need to hear it again. And it needs to be fresh to us. And we need to be soft to what it is the Lord is telling us. And he wants us to appreciate and understand, but he wants to give us this value. Not just appreciate it, but receive it. and Learn from it and grow from it. This second chapter, it's the first of six consecutive chapters that actually begin with this term, my son. Notice verse one, my son, if. So six consecutive chapters. The first chapter does not begin that way. If you go back to chapter one, you'll see that my son doesn't come until the eighth verse in chapter one. But for the next six chapters, starting here with chapter two, it starts with either my son or The one exception in chapter 4, it says, hear my children. That's the start. So in all those chapters, it's either either my son or it's hear my children. And this is the way Jesus talks to us, isn't it? He says, him who has an ear, let him hear. Hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Revelation chapter 1, 2, 3. God is speaking to us, and he's saying the same thing. Hear my son, or hear my daughter. doesn't matter if you've heard these things before. Jesus is going to tell you again. Uh, Peter even wrote, he goes, these things I write to you, though you already know them. I remind you of these things. And so Solomon here speaking, not just to his son, but like I said in chapter 4, hear my children. If you're a woman here, you could put in, I always do this, I have three girls, we don't have any sons in my house. So I have to change the text a lot in the sense of the spirit of the text. I don't change any text. Don't get worried. The spirit of the text, I'll say, hear my daughters. Well, I'll read texts like this or hear my children. It's okay. That way we are able to personalize these things. And we want to look at the first first thing we want to take a look at tonight uh, is it instructs. The value of wisdom, what does it do for us? standpoint of direction. The first thing that Solomon points out here is instruction. So if you can forward that to instructs, I don't have the clicker on me. 
second chapter here opens with three ifs. If you receive, verse 1. Yes, if you cry out, verse 3. If you seek, verse 4. Three ifs are conditional requirements. Conditional requirements to receiving wisdom and the direction that we all need and the practical and spiritual benefits that come with it. Isn't it good to know that there's actually some benefit that coming, comes from receiving what God is giving? There's definitely uh, the benefit to us spiritually, but there's many other benefits as well. You might say, well, hold on, conditional. These things are conditional. What about grace? How can these things be conditional to the New Testament believer? Because we have the Old and the New Testament now, and we study both parts of the Bible. But how could these things be conditional under grace? Well, grace was and is God's gift through the cross. True? Grace was and is God's gift to the cross. And we had to respond to that grace. Thank you. We had to respond to that grace with what condition? Repentance. The grace was the grace was paid for completely lock, stock, and barrel, paid for by Jesus Christ. But even though the grace was paid for and given as a free gift, the condition is still you have to reach out via repentance to receive it. So there's still a condition even with grace. Not a condition to earn your salvation, but a condition to repent and receive it. So where does wisdom start? Well, grace is the foundation. Grace is the foundation. And these conditions of wisdom, think of them as, if, if, those of you who have seen a house built, maybe you had your own house built, you have the foundation laid, that's grace. And then you start to lay those bricks, brick by brick. That's the conditions that uh, are laid here on top of the foundation that make the home livable. You have to build everything up, the framing of the wall, put in the windows. All those aspects are these conditions that would build upon the foundation of grace. So again, where does wisdom start? Well, wisdom starts with belief. If you look at verse 1 here, my son, if you receive my words, do we believe what God says? My son, if, right, if you believe, if you receive my words. These aren't Solomon's words. Do we all agree with that? These aren't Solomon's words. They're God-breathed by the Holy Spirit. He's receiving them from the Lord, and they're God's words given to Solomon. One cannot receive God's words and then take them in to the heart level and receive them without believing them. Whosoever believes Jesus is. All who believe. Believe is the key word. The book of John, which is the, the book that I recommend to new believers to read, mentions the word believe more than any other gospel, because believe is the key. You can't receive it until you believe it. But notice the admonition to the Christian. You can't just receive and believe these things. You have to treasure them. He says, my son, if you receive my words and treasure my commands. (coughs) 
You have to treasure them. You have to give the Word of God a great place in your life. Does that make sense? You've got to give the Word of God a great place in your life. I have to give the Word of God a great place in my life. Jesus said, seek you first the kingdom of God, and all the other things will be added unto you. The first if has four conditions. The first if, there's three ifs here. The first if has four conditions. Receive, number one is receive. Number two, treasure. Number three is incline. It's speaking to the ear, moving the ear in the right direction to hear from God. And number four, apply. This next if of the four in verse three, yes, if you cry out for discernment, if you lift up your voice for understanding, So we know we have to believe God's word to receive them. That's the first if. And we have to treasure those commands. We have to give give a great place in our life. But this third, or this uh, second of the three, if you cry out, if you lift up your voice. Question, how thirsty is your soul? How thirsty is your soul to hear from the true and living God? That's what, that's what he's asking here. He's saying, you're going to have to, son or daughter, you have to lift up your voice. You have to have a thirsty spirit for the Lord. Are you crying out to think like God? To think like God. Say, I, I want to think like the Lord. You'll never become God. That's not, God's never asked us to become him, but he's asked us to become like him. And that only happens by spending time with him. Someone could never say, I love my spouse. I just don't like to hang out with them. Nobody could ever say that. Man, I love, I love my husband so much, I just, I just don't like to see him for about two or three weeks. But that's what God would say to people, say, oh, I love you, God. And God says, I haven't seen you at my doorstep in weeks. You haven't cracked a Bible. You haven't prayed? You, you, well, you did pray over some chicken nuggets last week, but, that, but other than that, right? So God would look and say, I know what you say, but I see what you do is your voice crying out. Now, again, if you say, well, man, I want to cry out, but I don't even, part of me doesn't want to. That's where the OFB Meyer, Lord, I'm willing to be made willing. They say, Lord, I want to have a thirst. Start to create a thirst in me. But that goes back to believe. If you believe that God wants this for you, then you can ask him for those things, and he'll actually start to stir a thirst. And uh, he'll use a lot of different ways to do that in our life. That's how um, you know, Solomon started out. He really did want wisdom from God, didn't he? He could have had anything. First thing he wanted was, was wisdom from the Lord. He, he had a thirst for God. God wants us to give, he wants to give us discernment for every facet of our life. Lift up our voice for him, to him. We'll have these things. Uh, the next thing, the third of the, uh, the if conditions here. If you seek her as silver, verse 4, and search for her as gold. You have to seek, you have to search. <clears throat> How's our life in God's word? You know, not just reading it, but really digging into it, asking the Holy Spirit to help us. Where is our diligence on the diligence monitor? If, there, if God was showing us, our, where is that diligence? 
Those who seek him diligently will find him, the scriptures say. Pastors of old, a uh, long time ago, I, I don't think you'll hardly find any American pastors today that would do this, uh, but pastors of old, boy, this was, things were different back in the day, as they say. If they didn't know a person they had to do a funeral for, and they're going to bury them, you know what a lot of pastors would do? They would say, let me see their Bible. Let me see their Bible. And if someone handed them a dusty, looked like it was brand spanking new out of the box, they'd say, I'm going to have a hard time preaching that they're in heaven. Why? Because there doesn't look like a love relationship there. It doesn't look like there was actually a marriage relationship between them and the Lord because we come into that relationship. Now, I'm not saying that I am going to do that. I've never done that. I've done funerals. I've never asked for anybody's Bible. But I'm telling you, in the old days, that's what they did because it was the context. I was, um, I was uh, given, actually my mom, via my grandmother, gave a whole bag of uh, letters that were written by ancestors in our family. And one of them uh, was an ancient relative of mine, not, not ancient wouldn't be the word, but uh, colonial, uh, back to the early 1700s. And, um, and so I was really literally reading these letters from the 1700s, and I have far enough back uh, an ancestor who was a pastor and evangelist in the Delaware Valley area of Pennsylvania. And he wouldn't baptize someone unless he had seen like two to three years of fruit in their life. Anyone. Didn't matter who they were. They could come to the church. They could be active. But he had to see two to three years worth of fruit before there'd be any baptism. Because I believe in times in history, the church has understood that we have to be diligent to press into the Lord. And this is what Solomon's getting at. You have to press in. These are conditional things. God says, I will... I will bless you, I will give you what you need, but you're going to have to press in. Now, we get the grace of God to do that. Isn't that good to know? The same grace that you got saved is the same grace that actually says, Lord, I want to do this, my, my spirit is willing, but my flesh is weak. And God says, that's right, I'll help you get there. You know, Randy Alcorn, I don't know if some of you may have written, read some of Randy Alcorn's books. He wrote an article recently on stress. Anyone here ever experienced that? Stress? Yeah. Probably today. Probably yesterday. Probably tomorrow. You know, just uh, stress is all around us. And everyone, he writes this, he says, everyone has priorities. Some have never chosen or experienced the right ones and need to redefine them. Others of us have long known the right priorities and merely need to rediscover them. We've tasted right priorities, but we've allowed ourselves to drift away from them. We've replaced fellowship with entertainment giving with buying, and family time with television, the lawn, the remodeling job, the causes, the committees. By abandoning our God-given priorities, we set ourselves up to learn a hard lesson. That's what he wrote recently. And many people, the stress they're experiencing is God is going to let them, in the book of Haggai, it talks about this, God's going to let them feel the weight of the world until they come back to their senses and say, Lord, I need to apply my ear. I need to uh, listen. I need to come back into your throne. I need to seek you and search after you. I need to receive and treasure your words. And so we all need to, we all need to learn from that. Let's look at the next thing of the value of wisdom. First, it instructs. The next, it awakens, which is just verse 5. We see the ifs, three ifs. Then, verse 5, then you will, then you will understand 
the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Now, we talked about last time in chap, uh, a couple weeks ago in chapter 1, because we had two parts to chapter 1. Verse one uh, chapter 1, verse 7 of Proverbs, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. And we talked about that being the key verse of really the entire book. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But here it says, Then, on these conditional ifs, if you receive, if you apply, if you cry out, if you seek, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Now, there's a little more depth here. It's one thing to have the fear of the Lord, and that's a really good thing. Let's say you're, let's say you're a small child, and you just believe by faith what you've been taught. taught. And that's a great thing, because Jesus said that you've got to become like a little child to even enter into the kingdom of God. But the more you mature in the Lord, the fear of the Lord makes even more sense to you. It's not, like, you don't, you don't really look at it and really scratch your head as much. It's like it sinks deep within you, and you start to understand that the fear of the Lord is a love relationship that also encompasses awe and also encompasses a healthy dose of respect that the same God that can actually uh, completely evacuate a city in less than 24 hours is not to be toyed with. You understand what I'm talking about? And you, and you kind of understand at the spirit level, all of those concepts kind of converge, and you can't explain it, but you understand it deep within your spirit. That makes sense? And this is what he's saying. He's saying, the more you press into me, you'll just understand my nature, even when you can't explain. You have someone say, well, I don't believe in God. I don't believe in that. How do you know he's there? And you say, well, I know he's there because he's in my heart. Well, I don't like that as an answer. Doesn't make it not true. Just because you don't like the answer, I have a relationship with God, so I experience his presence. And we begin to understand the fear of the Lord, and we find the knowledge of God. You think of, um, you think of a circle here. Take a circle. I'm not doing a slide for this. This is just hand hand gesture circle, right? You've got a circle here. Think of wisdom, the fear of the Lord, and belief as any three points on that circle. Wisdom, belief, and the fear of the Lord as any three points of this circle. No matter where you enter into the circle, one of those will feed the other two, and you'll end up crossing them all. So in other words, if you say, I'm just responding to wisdom, it is a wise thing if God says, you, you don't know me. It would be wise if you read a Bible. Okay? You go ahead and read the Bible. You start by just reading it, you might enter the next door of belief. You enter the door of belief, you'll enter the next door of the fear of the Lord. Say, well, what if you enter the, through the fear of the Lord door? Well, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So then you'll go through that door, and you'll all of a sudden get wisdom, and then you'll get belief. It doesn't matter which one you enter on the circle, wisdom, fear of the Lord, or belief, they will all lead you to the others. So ultimately, God will actually, in the life of a Christian, will actually have the fear of the Lord, will have wisdom, and will have belief. And actually, all three grow, just like an oak tree. You think, well, that oak tree couldn't possibly get any bigger. Come back in 10 years, it'll actually be bigger. Just continued 
continue to grow, as long as it's being fed, as long as it's uh, receiving nourishment and water. Now, we have to ask ourselves, do we lack the fear of the Lord? Well, collectively, I think the body of Christ, that's a resounding yes. It's a major problem in the church today. It's, it's one of the biggest problems. If the fear of the Lord were to come, we would actually see great revival. It's something we have to ask ourselves personally, not just, well, yes, the church. We have to look in the mirror ourselves and say, do I have a lack of the fear of the Lord and awe of God, a realization that uh, he's on the throne, not me? Uh, he can get our attention real quick if he wants to, but I think he wants to get our attention through wisdom, doesn't he? He can chasten. He will chasten. Whom the Lord loves, he chastens. But he can get our attention by saying, you know what? What Randy Alcorn said is right. I need to listen to that. I need to get into the Word. When you get into the Word, here's the other cool thing. When you get into the Word of God, you'll develop a fear of the Lord. The Holy Spirit just starts to do it. Verses will jump off the page. You're like, wow, that really hit hard. That was for me. You'll personalize these things. God will speak directly. So that's what Solomon's saying. My son, it's personal. I'm speaking to you, my son. I'm speaking to you, my daughter. Let's look at the third thing. The, uh, speaking of the value of wisdom. It instructs, it awakens. The next, it supplies. It supplies. Verses 6 and the middle of verse 7 here. For the Lord, himself, for the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. We'll stop right there in the middle of verse 7. This is the one verse in the book of Proverbs, this verse right here, number 6. For the Lord gives wisdom. This is the one verse in the book of Proverbs that expressly states with no imagery that the Lord, and that word there means Jehovah or Jehovah, the existing one, this is the one verse in the entire book of Proverbs that expressly states that God is the source of wisdom for us. No imagery. Notice what the Holy Spirit gives Solomon. For the Lord gives wisdom. Wisdom, think about it like this. Wisdom comes from wisdom. What does that mean? What do you mean wisdom comes from wisdom? Well, Jesus, in his earthly ministry, didn't just say that he had the truth. He said that he was the truth. Right? Did he have the truth? Yeah. But he didn't just stop. He said he was the truth. Not just that he had the truth. You and I may have acquired and now possess some wisdom. I sure hope we all do. I'm sure hoping that everyone in this room has acquired and has some measure of wisdom now in our possession. But we're not wisdom personified. Does that make sense? We're not wisdom personified. We don't create wisdom. We only receive wisdom. No one in this room can create wisdom any more than we can create anything else out of thin air. God is the only one that creates wisdom designs, gives wisdom. He's the source of it. We're not a source of wisdom. We're simply a carrier of it. 
We're not a source of it. We don't have any. I've, I've often witnessed to people and I've told them, I don't have any wisdom for you. I can only tell you what God has said. And actually, it puts many of them at ease. They're like, oh, okay. You don't know it all. No, I don't know anything. But I can read you. That's why it's really good to actually know your Bible and say, let me read. Or actually, hey, read, right, read this verse right here. When they see it, they say, wow. Because, by the way, the Word of God is sharp, powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword. It'll actually cut through all of our great ideas. Got a 56-point plan that's going to win them over. We're not a source of wisdom. We're a carrier. We might be carrying a loaf of bread, but we're not the source of bread, right? Pick up a loaf of bread from Martin's. You're carrying it. You're not the source of bread. No, the source of bread was sun, rain, dirt, and water. Hard to believe that those things make bread. Another miracle of God. And then wheat pops up. And all of a sudden, you can grind those things, but those are the sources of bread. Take away those sources, and there is no bread, right? If all of a sudden you, you consume all the fields, and it does not rain for the next 10 years, there's no bread coming. The sources are still divine. Interesting. You take away those sources, you don't have bread. Interesting, Jesus also said he was the bread. Now, they said he was the truth, He said he was, he didn't say he had bread, although he does have bread. He said he was the bread. He also said he was the light. Not only that he has light, but he said he is light. He also said, not only does he have light, he said he he is life. He said he not only had the word of God, he said he was the word. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. And notice Proverbs 2.1, my son, if you receive my words. Interesting, huh? Colossians 1.17 says, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. Jesus, by the way of the Father, no one comes to the Father but by him, but Jesus, by the way of the Father, is the source of everything. The source of wisdom, we can't create it, we can only receive it, take it for ourselves, and share it with others. The throne of God and the word of God is where we go to get this wisdom. For the Lord, verse 6, gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright, verse 7. He stores up wisdom for the upright. Who's the upright? That's the family of God. He'll never not provide for his family. Isn't that great to know? If you're a child of God, he will provide for you as family. You've been, you've been adopted into the family of God. He has an unlimited reservoir in his storehouse of wisdom. His storehouse is full and supplied by him. He speaks and universes come into place. He has no lack of wisdom. But James 1.5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally without reproach, and it will be given. Are you needing wisdom, Christian? We do. We need it all the time. And to find it, we're to pray and open our Bibles. Pray 
and open our Bible. That's where wisdom is found. This is how I know I can be a husband and be successful at it. This is how I know I can be a dad and be success, biblically successful, not, not the world's definitions of success, but biblically successful. This is how I know I can be a pastor and not fail. And boy, if I failed, but I know I can still do these things, right? If God be for us, who can be against us? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens. His wisdom is there to guide us. You can be mom or dad. It's Mother's Day week. You can be a much more Christ-like mom next year, five years later, ten years. Continue to grow in that role. Dads too. Children. It applies to anyone. He has the source. We need his wisdom He will help us. I don't have any wisdom understanding, but my father does, and your father too. Isn't that great to know? Your father has the wisdom you need for any situation in life, any role that he gives you in life. James doesn't say, here's what James doesn't say in James 1.5. James doesn't say, if any man or woman lacks wisdom, let them read the New York Times bestseller. Let them make an appointment with, with an expert. No, didn't say that. Uh, Let them read a half dozen Consumer Report magazines to find the answer. No. He says, any man lacks wisdom, ask of God. What does that mean? Well, it means to pray and open the word. Pray and open the word. Pray and open the word. You mean that'll be the same answer 10 years from now? Yep. You mean 50 years from now, when I'm running into something I don't know what to do, pray and open the word will still be? Yep. It'll be the same answer. God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. It'll be the same answer. That's kind of good because I like things simple. How about you? It's good to know that God is not giving me this incredible list. I've got to memorize it. Pray and open the Word. Pray and open the Word. It'll work again and again and again. Now, when you pray and open the Word, God may direct you to open up a Consumer Reports magazine you have when you're trying to figure out, do we buy this fridge or not? He might. He might give you, remind you that you were going to throw it away and you, last second you didn't. He does things like that. He, he works in very practical ways like that. He might have us pick up the phone and call someone that we forgot and say, you know, I know who's gone through this. You had long forgotten they had gone through this and after you pray you remember isn't that the cool thing? Like, you might not remember it at first. You just run out and charge in and try and fix the problem. Then you say, oh, yeah, so-and-so went through this 10 years ago. I wonder if they'd talk to me. That's wisdom. He might do that. He might give you the answer. He might put someone on your heart. That's one of the great things about having a church family is you, God puts other people in your life and in the family of God that is there to help, but whether it's a spiritual matter or whether it's a practical matter. What did Jesus say? You have not because you ask not. We haven't prayed. We haven't opened the word. Here I am, 21 years now I've been walking with the Lord, about 17 years of ministry, about 12 years in church leadership, and nine years as a pastor. And yet, after all that, you would think this thick skull would understand a few things not to do. But no, There will still be those times where I'll be mulling something, trying to figure something out, wondering how to proceed, 
with something, and my wife will then say, have you prayed about it? Did you open the word? I'm supposed to say that in the house. (laughs) And a lot of times I do, but there's times that I don't because this is something I can figure out. This is in my wheelhouse. This is the stuff I'm good at. But you know you're still not because why would you be wrestling with it? And I'm actually glad God's given me a godly wife that will actually say that. Have you prayed about it? Have you opened the Bible? And usually I'll say out loud or to myself, hmm, now I just went into problem-solving mode. Yeah, I did. We were at the men's pastor's conference, and Lewis Neely was talking. He's like in his 80s, and he was saying he still does this. So I was like, why don't you pray? Pray, the car's out of gas. You know, it's... But uh, that's being self-reliant rather than Christ-dependent, men and women, all of us here. And by the way, let me just say one thing. As a, over the years, in my time with working with families and, and couples and uh, marriages and things like that, I've spoken to men and women who have really gotten offended because one of the two of them actually said things like that. Have you prayed about it? And one of the couples will get really offended that a spouse asked, did you pray about it? Folks, that should not ever offend us. That should not offend us. And the majority of these offended, are most of the time it's been men. And when they're offended, it's because they don't have a close walk with Jesus, and they'll say something back to their spouse, something like this. Well, aren't you little Miss Spiritual? If that's the first thing to come out of your mouth when someone says, have you prayed about it, especially if they're saying it in love, and you, know, you can tell when someone's saying it in love versus just trying to put you down. There are people that will sometimes say something just to make themselves look good. But I know my wife, and I know when she says she's not trying to, she really wants my, for my benefit. But if you know that someone's saying something in love and you're offended by that, well, aren't you a little misspiritual? Or, well, of course, I've been reading the Bible for 10 years. I know the answer to these things, right? No, these aren't spiritual answers. These are answers that of, of the flesh. Just a reminder here that that kind of reminder from our spouse shouldn't bother us. It should be said in love, and we probably shouldn't, you know, constantly say, "Have you read? Have you read? Have you read? Have you read? Have you prayed? Have you?" You know, that's not good either. But gen- I'm talking about these little things here and there. Those shouldn't they shouldn't ruffle our feathers. Well, we want to look at the last thing here this, uh, this evening, the value of wisdom. The last one we look at, it protects. Middle of verse 7, he is a shield to those who walk uprightly. He guards the, paths of the right, uh, guards the path of justice. He preserves the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteous, righteousness and justice, equity, and every good path. Let's stop right uh, at verse 9, and we'll look at these last verses. The middle of verse 7 and 8. It says he is our shield. It says he guards the individual paths. You might want to write in your Bible what I have written in mine is seasons, different seasons of life. The paths are plural, right? Because you're, there's only, in, a, in one sense, your life, you're only on one road from birth to death. But you have these different mannering paths, and these are seasons there was a season where I moved to Richmond for the first time. 
well, first time since I was like in middle school. We moved back here in, in uh, 2002. So there was probably seasons that some of you used to live somewhere else or seasons you used to have a different vocation or seasons before you were married, seasons of life that you can remember. See, there are these paths. So we have he is our shield. He guards the individual paths or seasons of our life. And number three, he preserves the long-term way of our life. It says he preserves the way of his saints. That's that entire road journey from birth to death to eternal life. He preserves the long-term way of our life, leading ultimately into his eternal presence. That's, if you're dividing those three up, it's a good way to look at it. He's our shield at all times, guards these individual paths. He preserves the long-term way of our life. The word path or way is found nearly 100 times in the book of Proverbs. The word path or way nearly 100 times. And what is that reminding of, well, I believe one of the things reminding us is that we're on a pilgrim journey. We're all in these paths. We don't know what's around the corner a lot of times on these paths, but we're on this pilgrim journey. Wisdom, it not only comes from God, as we saw in the previous verses, but those that receive his wisdom, they get his personal protection and his preservation. You have God's security team of angels around you. Isn't that great to know? You have God's personal security detail from heaven guarding you. Even Peter, they said, you know, when, when they were, Peter was knocking, some of the early church said, it's probably his angel. They understood that God actually has uh, a security detail for us, provided that we're responding to the obedience of God. God says, I've got your front, your back, your sides, all around you. We may fall asleep at times, but he won't. And all of us in this room have fallen asleep on God a few times. But he will never fall asleep on us. We may get off track at times. But he'll remind us and get us back on track before we make a disastrous mistake. Because most of our lives are a series of little blunders but not disastrous mistakes. Disasters can happen to us, but we don't want to be the source of a disastrous mistake like the one David made. Right? That was a disastrous mistake. But as we have the Holy Spirit in us and we respond in obedience, we're going to stub our toe a lot. We're going to have times where God's like, hey, did I not tell you this is the way it works? Gets our attention. As we started out here in chapter 2, the conditions of his protection are based on our following his commands. We're saved by grace, as we talked about. But the grace that saved us gives us, the same grace that saves us, gives us the wisdom to obey. And, and not only the wisdom to obey, the same grace that gives us wisdom to obey gives us a love to obey. I don't have to, I mean, truly, well, I do. I actually have to be a pastor now because I know for sure that's what God wants me to do. But the longer I do it, it's not that I have to be a pastor, it's that I get to be a pastor. And in your life, whatever it is that God has you doing, you want to move to the place where you, not, you don't have to go to church, you get to go to church. You don't have to go to the prayer meeting, you get to go to the prayer meeting. You don't have to go serve uh, at a hospital or at Bonaire or go on a mission trip or you know, 
go help your neighbor in a time of crisis or get up in the middle of the night because you love somebody. You don't have to do those things. You get to do those things. And that only comes by walking with Jesus. That won't change immediately, but it does change the more we spend time walking with him in his presence. And God gives us the grace to not only obey, but the grace to actually savor it. And it tastes different on our tongue than it did at the outset. Just as salvation was sweet when we first got saved, sanctification becomes sweet the longer we... Sanctification is becoming like Christ. That's a harder job than actually... Once you realize, I thought walking the aisle was the hardest thing. No, that wasn't the hardest part. Although it was a hard thing, because you had the whole world looking at you. Are you going to do it? Are you going to do it? Are you going to leave your friends? Are you going to lose your mind and become a, a nut job like the rest of these born-agains, right? You going to do that? But then you threw caution to the wind and you got saved, but then you realize God actually says, you've got to cut this out of your life, got to cut this out of your life, got to cut this out of your life. Oh, and by the way, your priorities are way out of whack. <laughs> Might even mean a credit card, that too. You know, all these things. But if we're walking in him, he says he'll be a shield, he'll guard us, he'll preserve. If we're walking in him, all the dangers and errors of life can't harm us until we've finished our course. To the point that they can't derail it. It's like a, like a ship that gets tossed on the sea. It can't sink until God says, you've reached the other side. The Titanic didn't fare that well. It did sink. But many other ships have gone back and forth a gazillion times across the Atlantic. Right? And they don't look as impressive. You may not look impressive crossing the Atlantic with God, but you'll still cross it. That's a good thing. He actually guarantees we'll get there. Our pastor, when we were at Central Church of God in Charlotte, when we first moved there, there wasn't a Calvary Chapel. For two years, we went to Central Church of God, and Loran Livingston still the pastor there. And he used to say, and it sticks in my mind to this, to this day, uh, but he used to always say, he was from the country, I ain't leaving this earth one second sooner than God intends. He said, the rest of you, if you want to worry about every ache and pain in your body, if you want to worry about every little thing that happens on planet Earth, if you want to worry, he would, sit, he would get into preaching mode, by the way. I'm not talking about teaching. I'm talking about preaching. And he would get into preaching mode. If you want to worry about all that stuff, you go right ahead. But he said, I'm not leaving this earth a second before God intends. Now, we can absolutely bring upon ourselves a premature removal from earth. I don't have time to get into that doctrinal discussion. But we can bring upon ourselves a premature exit. You still would be saved. But Paul mentioned this in 1 Corinthians 11.30. He talks about people taking the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. Some of them sleep because of it. So you can, you can actually, and that means death, by the way. That's not like a nap. Um, so you can have a premature exit, but if we're walking in surrender, it would never be premature. It would be the exact time of God's plan. He'll never leave us or forsake us. He will never cast us out. We'll have his peace. We'll have his protection from anything that comes our way. In Psalm 119, 165, and I've been lately, I've been really digging back into Psalm 119, 165. You know, uh, Pastor Damien Kyle, when we were at Sandy Cove last year, the group of pastors, he did a whole thing on Psalm 119. The Lord just put it on my heart lately, and I've been really just kind of meditating on Psalm 119. But in Psalm 119, 165, one of my favorite verses, great peace have those that love thy law and nothing causes them to stumble. Oh, Christian, understand. God wants us to love his law not because he needs that from us. Do you realize God needs nothing from us? 
God does not want us to love his law because he needs that from us. He wants us to love his law because we need that. That makes sense? When God says, love my law that you would have peace, he didn't say, love my law that, I, that God said, so, so I'll have peace. God already has peace. He's saying, if you don't love my law, you won't have peace. A promise. What a promise. Who doesn't want great peace? It is great peace have those that love your law. Not just peace, but great peace. Who doesn't want to walk and not continually stumble around? Most of us, even if we do a tiny little toe stub, we look around to see if anyone saw it. You know? You're, you're stepping out of your car and you've barely clipped the curb and you're looking around to see if anyone saw it. You wouldn't want to be face planted on a regular basis, both physically or spiritually. And God says, if you love my law, you won't. You really won't. You won't be perfect, but I'll have you st- your legs will be seaworthy. They'll be steady. You'll actually be getting stronger in the Lord as you go. You might be getting weaker physically, but stronger spiritually. Christian, God will do his part. And will we do ours is the question. He'll do his part. It's going to take believing his word over our feelings. It'll almost assuredly mean a change in priorities. When you look at, if you really decide, you, I'm going to go back into Proverbs 2 and really study this and understand it for me, Lord. What does it mean for me, whoever you are sitting out there personally? Because it's different for each person. God may be speaking one thing to one person, another thing to another person. But you hear it and say, Lord, what does this mean for me? Well, most assuredly, he'll, he'll actually pinpoint things that we're walking by feeling instead of by faith. Priorities need to change. Self-sacrifice that needs to be made. But they'll all actually benefit us to the glory of God. Warren Wearsby said, there's a price to pay if we would gain spiritual wisdom, but there's a greater price to pay if we don't. There is a price to pay to become spiritually mature. But he says the price is greater if we don't become spiritually mature. Jesus said to be as wise as serpents and harmless as doves. What does that mean? It means that God wants us to be meek and humble and even humble about our own weaknesses because we all have them and understand our own weaknesses. Do you understand your weaknesses? If you don't, your spouse can help you. I'm sure of it. Or someone in your family can help you understand it. You might not want to go there just yet because it could get ugly. But you need to understand your weaknesses and understand how Satan attacks you. Some of you attacks physically. Some of you attacks with certain temptations. You have to understand these things. And you, you're wise as a serpent, but you're also humble to say, God, I need your help. I can't ever get through these things without your help. Our spiritual vision and protection, it only comes from God. This makes it clear. Coming to a close here, key verse in this chapter, a big time key verse in this second chapter is verse 10. When wisdom enters your heart, and knowledge is pleasant to your soul. Actually, 11 ties in with it. Discretion will preserve you, understanding will keep you. When wisdom enters your heart, when it does, and knowledge is pleasant to your soul. Now, you have to ask, is knowledge pleasant to my soul? Am I receiving the imparted wisdom of God in my heart? Again, this goes back to inclining our ear, searching, Seeking, putting ourselves in that right posture, as we talked about when Jesus in the garden, get on our knees and asking, Lord, I need your help. 
And then wisdom will actually come into your heart, and it'll be pleasant. You'll actually, man, you know what? I don't feel like listening to this station. I want to hear some teaching. And you know what? I don't want to watch four movies tonight. I think I just want to hang out with the family. You know? That, That these things will become more pleasant to us. And then, as we come to a close, there's nine things and I'm just going to tick them off. And, and uh, uh, they're found in verses 11 all the way through verse 22. There's nine things that God says in here in these last few verses, nine things that he will do for us when we're walking uprightly, when we have uh, received his instruction, we have this fear of the Lord, uh, the wisdom has entered our heart. It's pleasant to our soul. In other words, we're walking in right relationship with the Lord Jesus. These nine things. Number one in verse 11, discretion and understanding. What does that mean? Well, we'll wisely know when to say no. We'll know when to turn the TV off. We'll know to avoid certain situations that are not good for us. And some of us, depending on who you are, God, God speak, some situations may never be a temptation for you, but they may be for someone else in this room. So you have to, you, you'll receive this discretion and understanding from God. Now, certain places, nobody should go. That's understandable. But, you know, if somebody truly, truly has an issue with alcohol, they have to be really careful. But wisdom, God will give them the wisdom, say, no, no, that you can't go there. Number two, in verse 12, to deliver from the way of evil from the man who speaks perverse things. All right, so God says he'll deliver us from the way of evil and the man who speaks perverse things. Uh, number two, if you're taking notes, we won't drift into the course of the world and the way the world speaks. There's a way the world speaks. There's an arrogance to it. There's a flattery to it. There's a always hidden agenda to it. Say, I've never noticed that. Ask God to show you. I'm sure you've all noticed, right? If you're watching the political campaigns, you'll see a lot of it these days. You know, the, the way the world speaks. Number three, that we won't, we won't go that way. We'll be going against the course. We won't speak like the Number three, in verse 13, from those that leave the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness. This one's a really scary one. We won't give up and leave walking with Jesus. Because look what it says. From those who leave the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness. Someone who had tasted and said, man, man, whatever happened to so-and-so? They used to be in our Bible study. Remember they went on a mission trip with us? Oh, yeah, they don't believe in any of that stuff anymore. Sad. God says, you keep walking with me. You keep Close to my path, you won't leave the path. That's verse 13, that's number three. Number four in verse 14. In other words, in verse 13, we won't give up. We'll never leave walking with Jesus. Number four, number four and also found in verse 14. Uh, we rejoice, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perversity of the wicked. We won't enjoy sin. We won't enjoy sin. That's a good thing, isn't it? Now, usually, when you, if you've really been saved when you sin, like, you feel, man, i got to take a bath. I gotta, this this got to get right. Who can I apologize to? Anybody. 
right? We won't enjoy sin. Number five, verse 15, whose ways are crooked, whose are devious in their paths, we won't become deceptive with crooked motives. We won't become deceptive with crooked motives. People uh, that are lost, I mean, they're always looking out for number one, so their plans are devious. There's a little bit of deception if needed to accomplish the goal. We won't think that way. Verse uh, 16, number six, to deliver you from the, actually verse 16 all the way uh, through verse 19, deliver you from the immoral woman, from the seductress who flatters with her words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God, for her house leads down to death and her paths to the death, uh, to the dead. None who go that way return, nor do they regain the paths of life. <coughs> will avoid sexual immorality. It's always been a major temptation to mankind. We will avoid sexual immorality. That, notice there was multiple verses to that one. Why? Because we live in an immoral world, and there is so much sexual immorality in this country and everywhere else around the world. Pornography, major problem. People cheating on their spouse, major problem. Uh, wrong forms of marriage, major problem. You name it. People having relationships before they get married, major problem. All of these things, all these are forms of sexual immorality. And God says one of the things that will change in the believer is they'll avoid sexual immorality and they'll maintain pure relationships that God ordained. You can't actually live in sexual immorality and actually have a right relationship with the Lord. It's impossible. It's impossible. You'd have a counterfeit on your hand. And there's another thing here that uh, is an image and a, um, a picture of us and the reason why I think that there's multiple verses, it's not just sexual immorality, it's also spiritual adultery here. This is kind of the uh, picture of you won't get sucked into the false church either. All of this, remember in the New Testament, there's a woman called Mystery Babylon. Every time in the Bible where you see an immoral woman, it's a picture of the false church. It's also a picture of immorality and sexual immorality, but it's always also, anytime you see a chaste virgin and a woman of God like Mary or Martha or Esther, they're a picture of the bride of Christ. And anytime you see an immoral woman like a Jezebel or a Delilah or this woman here, it's always a picture of the false church. Why? Because the false church, and Jesus speaks to one of the churches that was in sexual immorality, a false church leads Christian, well, tells people you can be right with God and do anything you want. That's adultery. That's a lie. Moses saw people drop dead that, that believe that. Joshua saw children of Israel drop dead that believe that. So it's not just a picture of sexual immorality, also of spiritual adultery, and you will be protected from false doctrine. This is also the other picture here. Number seven, verse 20. So you may walk in the ways of goodness and keep the paths of righteousness. You'll walk and persevere to the end. you walk in the ways of goodness and keep the paths of righteousness. You'll walk and persevere to the end. Number 8, verse 21. For the upright will dwell in the land and the blameless will remain in it. Verse 21, you will someday inherit God's kingdom. You'll never be removed. You'll come back with Jesus on a white horse when New Jerusalem comes, you'll stay. You will never be removed from the kingdom of God. Thy kingdom, what? Come, thy will be done. In a sense, 
will never be removed from the land. That's why Moses even was standing there at the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. He was never really removed in a sense, spiritually speaking. Uh, he would inherit that land, and so would we. And then finally, number 9 in verse 22, but the wicked will be cut off from the earth, and the unfaithful will be uprooted from it. You and I, if we walk in wisdom, stay in the Lord Jesus, of course, he'll never kick us out, you'll never experience the judgment to come. Others will, because they will foolishly have rejected the way of life. This Brothers and sisters, is the way of the wise. This is the value of wisdom. Jesus said there are wise virgins and foolish virgins. There's those that build on sand, and there's those that build on rock. Solomon was telling his son, son, build on the rock. Build on the rock, brick by brick, day by day, keep pressing in. You feel like, man, I'm not growing. Keep putting another brick on the, on the wall anyway. This is the precept by precept, listening to what the Lord says. And God says, you'll be okay. You'll grow. You'll learn to love me more. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for this time in your word. And we ask, Lord Jesus, that uh, you would give us all a thirst for your righteousness, a thirst for your word, a thirst for prayer. Lord, that you would bless our prayer life. You'd bless the time in your word. Lord, I pray that even tomorrow, everyone in here, as they open your word, would see something fresh and it would really speak and minister to us. Lord, show us those areas that are hindrances in our life, that are stumbling blocks to our own wisdom or the wisdom that we would receive from you. We know we don't have any, but Lord, there's stumbling blocks to us growing. Lord, maybe even stumbling blocks to our own children, our spouse around us. And Lord, we want to be wise not foolish. We want the oil of the Holy Spirit flowing in our life. You could return at any moment, Lord. We want to be ready for your return. Lord, so we just ask that the things that we've read, our ears would be inclined, our, our, our voices would be crying out. We pray, Lord, that uh, you would draw us unto yourself. We're willing to be made willing. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.